James chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that's not really a change of subject. James has been writing about facing trials, the bad things that happen to us that put our faith to the test. And when you face trials, big or small, you're going to be tempted. And when you are, you need to understand what's happening. So in these verses, James is explaining the nature of temptation, how it works and where it can lead. And his explanation is going to give you a lot of help to overcome it. Straight off, James tackles a thorny problem that this whole subject raises for some people. If God leads us into trials, or at least allows us to be tried because those trials are good for us, well, if those trials cause us to be tempted, does that not mean that God is putting temptation in our way? Absolutely not, James says. Don't be ridiculous. Let no one say when he is being tried, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. How could God tempt anyone to do anything sinful? God is pure. God is holy. There's nothing wrong or sinful anywhere in God's nature. He can't be tempted because there's nothing in him for temptation to appeal to. Sin holds no possible attraction for him. To him, sin is alien and repulsive in every conceivable way. And because that is true, God can't even think of luring anyone else into sin. He doesn't tempt anyone. He never will. It's just not in him. Well, now that we've got that clear, James says, let's talk about where temptation does come from. Ever since Adam and Eve, we have been blaming others for our sin. The woman made me do it. It was the serpent. You started it. I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done what you did. The devil made me do it. He tricked me. It's the most natural thing to do. We do it all the time and we always have. You just listen to your children when they're caught on, you'll see. Right away, they try to put the blame somewhere else. Well, James knocks that one on the head right away. When you're tempted, James says, 
It happens because you're lured or drawn aside by your own desires. The problem is you. For instance, that Mars bar you scoffed the other day. You know you shouldn't have eaten it. You need to lose weight. But don't blame the Mars bar or the person who put it there. If it wasn't for your own greedy desires, your liking for Mars bars, you wouldn't even have noticed it. Or that good-looking woman at work who doesn't have to dress herself. Don't blame her for flaunting herself. It's your lustful mind that's the problem. If that untamed sexual desire you play around with in your head wasn't already in there, you wouldn't be tempted by her. And you can apply the same idea to every temptation you can think of. Drinking, gambling, stealing, internet pornography, idleness, self-indulgence of any kind, you name it, it all comes down to the same thing. The problem is your own desires. All temptation does, all the devil does, is appeal to what's already there. Now, you might not like to hear that, but at least if you know where the problem lies, you can do something about it. A lot of people go wrong with resisting temptation because they're fighting the wrong battle. The battle with temptation is a battle with yourself and your own sinful desires. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. That's what Jesus said. Can you see it? Think of some of the times you've been tempted recently. Can you see that you were only tempted because something stirred up a desire that you'd already been harbouring? Watch out for them, those desires. Your heart is full of them. Because the battle is with your own desires, you have a choice. You can deal with the desire or you can let it be. But if you let it be, James says, that desire will lead you to sin. The way he puts it is when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It doesn't necessarily happen right away, just like babies aren't born as soon as they're conceived. It takes time for sins to grow and develop. It's the same with that desire. If you play around with it, if you toy with it, if you feed it, if you expose yourself to images or situations that stir it up, it'll grow and then in time, sooner or later, out will pop the sin. Have you noticed yourself doing that? A desire is stirred up and you know it's wrong and you say you won't give in to it, but you flirt with the idea a bit. You turn it over in your head a time or two, just imagine, dream a little, sure what's the harm in that, and the desire gets stronger, and then you end up doing that very sinful thing you said you weren't going to do. You know, with those desires to do sinful things, even if you just leave them alone, they're going to grow. You need to deal with them. You need to go to war on them. And here's what I mean when I say go to war on them. You could, for example, distract yourself from the desire the minute you become aware of it. Do something. Make yourself too busy to think about it. 
You'd go talk to somebody. You could fill your mind with other things. Paul says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So get your mind onto something like that. If that desire to sin keeps stirring, you could bring God's word to bear on it. Show it up, expose it for what it is. And when you have it under control, do everything you possibly can to drive it right away from you to make sure it doesn't come back. Cut yourself off from anything that might feed it. Don't go to places or open your mind to things or to people that might stir it up again. And that means you might even have to deny yourself some things that are not wrong in themselves, but for you with your desire, they're just too risky. Maybe too, you could make yourself accountable to someone you trust. Tell him or her about the battle you're fighting with your sinful desire and get them to check up on you from time to time. Now, all that takes a lot of effort. But remember, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perishes than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. You have to give that desire a really hard time. Put every obstacle you can in its way. Somehow you've got to put it to death. So some valiant fighting with yourself is called for. And that's another place where a lot of us go wrong. We expect those sinful desires we have just to go away. They won't. Even if you just leave them be, one day, sooner or later, a sin will be born. If it gets to the next stage, if a sin is born, there are still things you can do. You still will have to put that desire to death It'll be stronger now that you've fed it and given it a bit of exercise. It would have been easier if you'd done it sooner, but it can still be done. But first, you've got to repent of the sin. You've got to reject it. You've got to determine to have nothing more to do with it. You've got to cut yourself off from it in every possible way and then replace it with good, righteous behaviour. That's an important part of repentance, you know. Repentance is not just saying sorry. Repentance is turning right around. It's saying, I'll have nothing more to do with that old sinful way. Instead, I'm going to do things God's way. You've got to replace that sinful behavior with godly right behavior. And if you don't do that, there's another stage, according to James. Sin leads to death. You can end up cut off from God without hope. It happens. If you keep sinning, you can become so hardened in your sin that all hope of salvation goes. And when that happens, it's too late to do anything about it. Now, it doesn't happen easily, but persistent sin, sin fully grown, leads to death. When something stirs up a desire within you, the choice is yours. 
Nobody's making you go one way or the other. You can put that desire to death or you can leave it be. If you leave it be, it will give birth to sin. And if you let that sin grow, it could destroy you. So as soon as those desires are stirred, go to war on them. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, James says. You've been warned, in other words. Before he leaves the subject, James has something else to say, something to encourage you. It's a reminder of the kind of God your God is. James says every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Have you got that picture? A God who gives nothing but good gifts. A God who is all-powerful. Father of lights, I think, is a reminder of his creative power. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. Now, if God is that powerful and that good, there is no good thing he cannot give you. There's no variation in his goodness. It's constant and continuous. Have you got that picture? Just to make sure you have, and as an example of the extent of God's goodness, James holds up before you your salvation. Of his own will, for no other reason than just that he chose to, because he is good, God saved you and made you precious to him. Oh, if God is so good, why would you choose to go any way but his way? Don't be taken in by those desires. You think it would be good to satisfy them when God is continually pouring out what is the very best for you. Don't be daft. Don't be deceived. Sometimes God appears to withhold good things, and that's a trial. It puts your faith to the test. But remember, he only appears to be withholding good things. That trial itself, the trial you're coming through, even though it hurts, is good. Now, God didn't put it there to tempt you to sin. He means it only for good. He put it there to give you an opportunity to grow. Take a quick look back at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessing comes when you endure. And look at who the people are who endure. They're the people who love God. So I'm leaving you with a question. Do you love God? Do you love him enough to persevere through those trials? Do you love him enough to count those trials a joy? Do you love him enough to follow God's wise counsel as you come through them? Do you love him enough to really, really get to war on those desires to sin that you know are in your heart? There's a crown of life promised to those who do.